goes the free kick. Colaccini nearly got a head on it. Tiote, great strike! Oh! It's an absolutely fantastic goal! They bounce it on the crossbar! And into the net! Would you believe it? Divo Carigi! Balotelli! Aguero! D. Martin Download back once again Thursday, December 10th. Ian Gilmore, Adam Baker, Luca Maloney joining you on D. Martin Download. Hey, it's been a while since we've been back, fellas. How are we, Adam? No, doing good. It's been way too long. Too much has changed. Got a lot to cover. Luca, how we how we been? Uh, this is the final stretch of our semester. You know what? We're doing good. We're looking good. Can't wait for a good Christmas break. New Year's. Let's have some fun. Squeaky bum time, as Sir Alex Ferguson would say. Hey, like I said, it's been a while since we've been back together. Lots has happened, lots to get to, including some Champions League that happened yesterday and the day before. Newcastle's missing games because of COVID. Liverpool's playing with 10-year-olds. Spurs are title contenders. Lots to unpack, lots to unpack. Um, before we get into any of that, I just want to tease a little thing here. I sat down – well, I didn't sat down. I, I chatted with uh, – MSU men's soccer head coach Damon Rensing a little while ago, uh, kind of talking about the team and uh, what he's what he's expecting for this wild spring uh, that should come for him. That's coming in a little bit, so keep your eyes out for a special episode of DeMartin Download there. Let's get right into it, Champions League. Uh, before we get into any kind of, you know, analysis and talk about the games, I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about what happened in uh, Istanbul, or no, it was in France um, on Tuesday. PSG and Bashak Shahir. Um, when the fourth official used um, racist language towards um, an assistant coach of Bashak Shahir, the game was paused. The players walked off. Uh, they came back and played yesterday after it happened. This is the first time, I think, really in, in, in modern world football, we have seen uh, a player become racially or a player or coach racially abused, and then both teams take action, leave the field. Got to be a step in the right direction, you think. Luke, I want to go to you first and your thoughts on this. I think this is absolutely necessary. Applause to both teams for doing that. Because I think under UEFA, this thing, this racism incident has slipped away from them too many times. They brush it up. They put it under the rug. I just think it needed to happen. Again, we've seen instances in Neymar versus Marseille a couple months ago. We've seen Mario Balotelli in Italy just get abused all the time. And these are things that happen every day. It's we don't hear a lot about it, but the important thing is that both teams finally took a stand. You know, it, it's completely unacceptable behavior. Uh, I heard from what I read one thing that said that there needs to be a sensitivity training in all UEFA competitions. I think it's important just because he's Romanian and that's what he may say in his language and in his country doesn't mean that it's acceptable anywhere. Right, Adam. Yeah, I mean, just really to echo a lot of what Luca said, and like as much as you don't want to see that stuff happen, especially again and again, a lot of respect to PSG and Istanbul for both walking off the field, especially, I mean, and then some stand out, like respected a lot of what Dembaba did, pressuring the ref, not letting him get off, really pushing the issue on him. And then for PSG, who they weren't secured their spot to the round of 16 yet. So for them to do it, granted, they probably knew it would have never been a forfeit, but still for them to, in their final group game, when they're trying to advance, for them to still walk off the field and put the game in jeopardy, 
a lot of respect to both sides for doing it. Again, you don't want to keep seeing it, and you hope UEFA doesn't take the easy way out when it comes to punishing the fourth official. But I like seeing – it was a good thing to see from the two sides. Right. Like you said, you don't want to see this, period. But it, having, you know, having already seen it, the way they responded – um, and, you know, even coming out the next day and kneeling during the, the Champions League anthem with no to racism going around the stadium. Um, I think the reaction and response to this is, is the first time that, you know, people have been proud of, of what, what came after it, I think. Um, so there's that. Now let's get into some, some breakdowns of the group. We'll just go alphabetical order. We'll spend some time, uh, more time on some of the, the more important groups, quote unquote. Uh, group A, we'll start. The way it finished was Bayern, first place, Atleti in second. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg is heading to the Europa League, and Lokomotiv is out. Adam, this is uh, your arch nemesis group, Bayern Munich. They, they finished top. Maybe probably not a surprise that they, they finished top against Atleti. Was there, was there anything in this group that uh, kind of caught your eye? So two things. One, the, the Bayern and Salzburg games were way more open than I think anyone would have expected. And... This is going to sound weird. For 80 minutes in the first game, I think Salzburg genuinely outplayed Bayern. They had a lot of chances. Final 10 minutes come by, they lost 6-2. Four goals in the last 10 minutes. And then even in the second leg, second leg, it's a group stage, but the second fixture, Salzburg had their chances. They had some breakaways. They had some opportunities. They lost again. And then they had a chance to advance yesterday against Atletico. They needed a win. They were pushed and they lost 2-0. So, I guess I was impressed and also disappointed that it didn't pay out for them. Like how open Salzburg made it against the bigger teams. And, you know, if Jesse Marsh is to say, get linked to a team in black and yellow, I'd be very pleased to have him. I really, I was hoping they would advance. Honestly, I, I was rooting for him. I was rooting for Dominic Slobosai. It's a shame yeah, that they couldn't pull it out, but there was a lot of impressive signs from them this, this year, as there was last year, even though they lost like their core offense. Luca, were you surprised that they were as competitive as they were, or, or is that not a surprise to you? I think it wasn't a surprise. I think going into this group, you know they play well. I think they play good football, and if you catch Atleti on a bad day, then you have a chance to get a point up. All right, Group B. This, this one was wild down to the very last day, last minute. Real Madrid could have finished top or bottom on, the, on match day six. They do finish top, and Much and Gladbach, even though they lost to Madrid, uh, yesterday, they go through as well. Shakhtar, the team that finished third, and Inter Milan is out of Europe. I know that puts a smile on your face, Luca. Take it away, me. All right. So this is another instance where Antonio Conte is under pressure. Okay, he won the game against he won the game against Gladbach. Romelu Lukaku phenomenal in that game. And again, I think Inter play well, but when it comes down to when they really need to win, they don't. And again, this is a Shakhtar side that plays good football, but at the same time, Inter have a really good team. And I think Inter was stubborn to play. I think they didn't play the right players. And they, and they certainly didn't have the right approach for this game. And again, they suffered the consequences. Antonio Conte, after the game, just was asked if he had a plan B. And he asked, and he said he didn't want to give it away, which makes me think this guy didn't have a real plan B. He didn't know what he was doing if, Inter didn't stick to their formation and to their philosophy and just try to grind out a win like they always do. And this is a game where it was make it or break it because you saw it. They, they didn't do anything in this game. Now they're out, not even Europa League. 
how how big of a blow is that for them, Adam? It's a huge blow. They uh, look, they fumbled the bag last year when all they had to do was beat Barcelona's B team at home to advance over Dortmund, and they didn't. But I guess if you want to look at it big picture, you're in a group with Barca, you're in a group with Dortmund. They were the third pod. The way it ended sucked, but you, you, you can get a little bit of a pass for not advancing. This year, two games against Shakhtar, you tied both of them. Two games against Madrid in kind of a crisis, especially the second game you lost both of them. It just, I mean, they only have themselves to blame. Again, the home game against Madrid was disappointing. They're out of it from the beginning. And I think Conte has to really do a lot of adjustments. This 3-5-2 is not working with Inter. They'd never win a big game. Uh, and just, what is this, like the fourth year in a row he's failed to do anything in Europe, carrying back over to Juventus? He doesn't win. He doesn't win when he has multiple competitions. He's only won in Chelsea and in Juventus when he doesn't really have to compete for the Champions League. Yeah, and even that second year at Juventus, he made the quarterfinals in 12-13 with Juventus, and then the next year he didn't make it out of the group that, and he finished below Galatasaray. And then this year, yeah, to not even make champion, to not even make Europa League in a group with Shakhtar and Gladbach is a, it's a huge knock. Madrid finishing top after everything that happened, you know, it, it could have been one of the worst days in Madrid history if if they didn't qualify. But them finishing top, do you think they can carry momentum into the round of 16, or or do you still still see them struggling, Luca? I think this team would rather die than hear the Europa League anthem. <laughs> and to be completely honest, Real Madrid played amazing. And you can see what these guys can do when they're under pressure. That was uh, Zidane after the game said that was the most complete football game they've played this season. And I completely believe it. Every single player on that pitch played a good game. And if they can continue that into the next, to the next round, no matter who their opponent is, I think they will be big. Adam. I, mean, I think there's a lot of unpredictable factors with Madrid. Like, is Hazard ever going to be healthy? Who's starting on the right wing? Is Odegaard going to break into the lineup by then? But considering they topped the group, and I think the best two second-place teams are Atletico and Barca, so they can't draw either of them because country ties. I think they'll be good to get to the quarterfinals, and then by then their whole season could be looking different. So it's everything's pointing in the right direction for them. Group C features Man City, uh, a cupcake group, as usual, for City, an easy path uh, into the round of 16. They finished first. Porto, not too far behind them, finished second. Olympiacos third. Marseille bows out in the group stages. Any surprises in this one here for you, Adam? No. I mean, like, if you look at it ahead of time, it's City-Porto for the first two, and then you can interchange the last two. But I, <laughs> the only thing that's surprising to me is, I don't know what the number is by now or if they ended up changing yesterday, but... Marseille lost like 13 or 14 Champions League games in a row throughout the years. And that's just I, I'm not sure. I didn't see that. I don't know how you go over I don't know how you go over six, two or three years. Well, not three years in a row, like two and a half years in a row now. But no never watched City's Champions League group. They never have a competitive one. And they I mean, I guess props to them. They always end up with five wins out of the six, so they did what they had to do, but nothing too impressive or surprising. Luca. Again, just like Adam said, I mean, Man City was going to walk away with it. And Porto, I think, also has the second strongest team in here. Marseille, Olympiacos, again, it was the battle for third. Group D features Adam, one of your teams. Liverpool, they finished top. Atalanta squeaks by, finishes second. 
Ajax, a close third. They'll go to the Europa League. And Mitt Jelland, no surprise, they finish fourth. Adam, Liverpool and Mitt Jelland, correct me if I'm wrong, tied 1-1 on Tuesday, still get through. Um, do you, you know, with, with the, the way they're thin right now, do you see any trouble for them heading forward? If I was going to see trouble, I thought it would have happened by now. I was kind of surprised Liverpool just continued to win as is. I didn't really – I wasn't concerned with yesterday's draw because, I mean, Fabinho and Salah and Jota were the only first-team players that played. And if you want to call Jota a confirmed starter, yeah, it's, it's fringe how much players are actually in that game. But Van Dijk's out for the season, but Thiago's hopefully going to be back eventually. He'll definitely be back by the round of 16. And I'm not too concerned – Again, the injuries are a concern that, like, they might not have subs, but so far it looks like Liverpool can replace anyone in the lineup. So as long as the injuries don't get any worse, I'm confident they can take on whoever they get in the round of 16. Luca, um, did Ajax kind of get robbed here, or is Atalanta good enough to go through, you think? No, I think uh, Atalanta deserves to go through. I think Ajax is a relatively very young team, much younger than Atalanta is. Atalanta took advantage of that, and I think if you're Ajax, you can't be disappointed because you're still going to be playing good football um, in the Europa League, and they do have a young, one of the youngest teams in Europe. So, how good of a chance? How good of a chance do you think they have in the Europa League? I think they can go. Through, I think they can go pretty far. All right, Group E, another one with not too many surprises. Chelsea finished first above Sevilla. Sevilla cannot defend their Europa League title. I know they're probably a little bit sad about that, but they'll take the round of 16 Champions League instead. Krasnodar finished third and Ren fourth. Chelsea top in their group. They haven't had, you know, a crazy amount of success in the Champions League for a while now. Is, is this a, a team that can, that can ride a wave at them and kind of maybe go far, make a run at the title? I mean, I think you give Chelsea anyone besides Atletico and – Probably not Barca, and they'll probably they should be better off than the second place team. So I, I mean, I really think this year is probably the most lopsided it's ever been with the first seed versus the second seed. Because I mean, there really wasn't a group of death besides when we'll get to a little later. So I think any anyone who finished first in the group really should consider themselves a favorite to make the quarterfinals, and then from there, anything can happen. I think what was surprising for me about this group is. Sevilla played Chelsea at home to basically top the group, and Olivier Giroud scored four goals. I don't know if Sevilla like rested starters or not, but they really didn't show up for a game. To, I mean, again, like I just said, that really decides how your Champions League outcome is going to be looking. Yeah, we we saw what they what they did in the Europa League last year, and just how good of a team they were um, in the latter stretches of that that tournament, Luca. So, it, as a as a second place team, maybe a, a dark horse. Uh, and definitely probably an underdog in the next round. They they have a chance to make a run, do you think? They definitely can. If they can shape well, because we've seen this to be a team have ups and downs this season. They can win big games or they can lose them. So I think it depends what mood they come into play. They can definitely give a tough game. All right, moving on. Group F, Adam, your real boys here. Dortmund finished first. They go through. Lazio right behind them, a close second. And Club Bruges. An impressive performance from them, but they go to the Europa League and Zenit St. Petersburg is out. Adam, what did you see from your side that you liked in the group stage, and how do you think they'll fare in the round of 16? Okay, so I think 
five of the six games, Dortmund was the clear better side. And I'm including the one they lost to Lazio in Italy. I think they're kind of unfortunate to lose that game. I think Lazio really took advantage of every chance they had. Dortmund missed a lot. So it's a little, okay, I'll say a concerned. Dortmund played Lazio twice and they didn't beat them either time. And I kind of think they got outplayed in the home game. So that's a little bit of a concern to me. But at the same time, in between those Lazio three goals, eight combined, they're getting better at taking care of business. I, I, I'm not, I'll throw, the Zenit game was weird because Dortmund had like nine players out with either COVID or injuries. And I'm I'm confident they can, again, I keep saying it. I think they can take on any second place teams. Obviously, some will give me more concern than others, but it's looking good. They they just had to top the group. That's what I was concerned about. I'll worry about the rest after the draw. Lazio doesn't lose a game in the group stage, but they do draw four times. Sitting seventh in Serie A, Luca. Lazio, they made a run at the title in Serie A last year. Uh, they seem to have fallen off a little bit. Is this a team that maybe could pull an upset in round of 16 or no? You know, what team hasn't had a regular season this year? And you have to give them credit. You know, Lazio do what they can do with the players they have. And, you know, maybe they've, they've struggled to find form in the first half of the season. It'd be really interesting, knowing that they have a place secured for the next round. I want to see how well they play because they do have the players to give a tough run. Yeah, they have one of the best strikers in Chile, Mobile, and one of the best midfield um, centers in in Europe and especially in Italy. So there's no reason why this team can't give a good performance. But again, it's been ups and downs. All right, moving on to Group G, Juve finishes first, Barca in second, Dinamo Kiev is in the Europa League, and Ferenc Varos finishes fourth. Came down to the last day, uh, Juve beat Barcelona handedly, two PKs from Ronaldo, and the American, Weston McKinney, with one of the goals of the group stage. Uh, is this, does this spell any trouble, you think, for Barca, Adam, finishing second instead of first? Yeah, I mean, they get Bayern, they're out. They get Liverpool, they're out. They get, I mean, they can't get Madrid. And they, they can still favor themselves in some of the other matchups like Chelsea and Dortmund. But no, it's very bad for them. They, they're they never in this position. They only had to not concede three goals against Juve, and they wouldn't be in this position. So I think, considering how bad it had to go for them to finish in second, it's a real bad outlook. And, I mean, Barca hasn't won their big games this season. They lost to Atletico. They lost to Madrid. They lost a Juve game Ronaldo played in. So, no, it's looking pretty bad. Juve's only loss, like Adam just mentioned, Luca was to a Ronaldo or was a Ronaldo-less loss against Barcelona. Yeah, is is this Juve team? Do you think they're a scary team? Can they go maybe all the way? I think they are a scary team. Um, I think as soon as Pirlo gets these teams playing on a consistent level, because right now in Serie A, Juventus are five and five and zero. Oh. You know they play they've played five, they've drawn five. You know it's not exactly a, a good look for them. But if they can find consistency, if they can keep all those players healthy, you get a performance like they did at Barcelona, which they just dominated. And Barcelona is just not a team that can do it right now. It's a, it's a team in complete chaos from top to bottom, not just with the players and the managers. I mean, they have an interim president at the moment. And I don't think Barcelona is going to make it through the round of 16, no matter who their opponent is. I really don't think there is a, a, a side that they can beat. 
what what do you think is the problem problem then and how do they go about fixing it at Barca if, if this is arguably one of the one of the if not the biggest club in the world and you know we're talking about them struggling to get past the round of 16 in the Champions League they're sitting you know mid-table in La Liga what's the problem and how do they go about fixing it uh, first of all, I have to give it to the beginning of the season with the presidency and then the hiring of Ronald Koeman. I mean, if you're Ronald, imagine you're Ronald Koeman and you get the phone call from Barcelona. Where is um, I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Where is the job security? Because you're going into a team that the president the president doesn't believe in the team. You're going in where Messi has little patience and is going and is going overboard. Ronald Koeman, I think, was the only person to actually say yes to this job, because this is a this is this is a horrible position for Koeman to take. And considering that he's not going to get the players that he wants, this team is discombobulated in all parts of the pitch. You don't know if Griezmann's going to perform well. You don't know if defensively they're good. There's just there were just a lot of question marks about Ronald Koeman's hiring. But above that, it's been with the board in Barcelona what have they been doing to actually try to make this team good Adam you think that's where the problem stems from yeah it has to be just nothing in that summer was really progressive getting ready for the season you had again the whole Messi controversy taking up your preseason don't know if he's going to be there or not and then holding him there against his own will I never liked the Ronald Coleman hire I just think he kept falling upwards underperforming at his job I think even at the Netherlands, I always thought, like, he finished second in a qualifying group. Your only real test in a qualifying group with Germany is if you finish above them or below them. They finished above Ireland, and I forgot who else was in that group. It wasn't that impressive of a run. And then just, yeah, to come to Barcelona, I think they got every decision wrong. Every decision. Go And this is going back a few years. Like, none of their signings have really been working out. Their coach isn't putting their signings in a position to try and turn it around. So, no, it's looking real bad for them. They, I don't know who they get because, I mean, Poch is the best free agent manager. I think he backtracked on his Espanol ties to never coach Barca. But I just don't know who Barca gets at this point. And I know Xavi's obviously an option, but even if that's still too soon or what they do from here. Perhaps the, the group that made the most noise and, and had the most news and was potentially the group of death in the Champions League, Group F. PSG finishes first, Leipzig second, United is out and into the Europa League, and Basak Shahir finishes fourth. This was an up-and-down group, Adam, from United beating Leipzig 5-0 and beating PSG, taking four points against them to somehow bowing out and not going through. I Just, you know, sum up your thoughts on this one. Okay, so Leipzig losing to United 5-0 never made sense to me. I mean, like I've seen Leipzig play big games against Dortmund and Bayern, and they get outplayed a lot, but I never understood how they got work like that. So I didn't think the second game was going to be more of the same, especially going back to Germany. It's a pretty big coaching mismatch in my mind, Nagelsmann against Ole. So I felt like – I thought United would go through because they needed a draw only. So I didn't think Leipzig were going to go up to a 2-0 lead in 12 minutes. And kind of like you said a second ago, after United won that first game in Paris, up until they lost in Turkey, I was like, oh, well, they're... I didn't think they would go through initially, but after that, I was like, oh, yeah, no, they sealed their advancement. And they really, I don't think they can be too disappointed with losing to PSG at home. I mean, 
you split the games with them. You don't want to lose at home, but I think that was kind of bound to happen. And even losing to Leipzig in Germany, but the 2-1 loss over in Istanbul really is what you they just have to look at. It kind of dampen the rest of the season outlook, depending on how their their league campaign goes. Luca. Again, this is this was a time for Manchester United where they had to step up. You know, they come off the loss against PSG. Okay, they got the tactics wrong there. What can we do to fix it for Leipzig to secure the next place? And that is where the pressure came to Solskjaer and the Man United group, and they just didn't perform. And you have to keep in mind, Leipzig didn't have their, their arguably their best player, which is Jaya Upamecano. He didn't play that game. A center back who probably can guard, who can defend any any of the Man United attackers. So my question was, what was wrong with this Man United team that they just couldn't get, they couldn't fire any shots? You know, and why why couldn't they capitalize on this opportunity to go ahead in the, in the Champions League? And, you know, apart from everything else that's happening in Manchester United, which seems chaotic, you know, you have to give credit to the teams that did take advantage, PSG, PSG and Leipzig. Is Ole in trouble, Luca? I think he should be in trouble because it's, I think it's unacceptable. I think he'll go on to win this weekend against Man City and keep his job safe. But I think there needs to be a severe tactical change at Man United. They just can't keep going on this pattern of back and forth, Champions League and Europa League. Hey, this is Man United you're talking about. All right, so before we move on, let's get into a little bit of a round of 16 preview. We won't go through, you know, we don't know matchups yet. Games won't be played till February. Um, but one, who's your lock to go through and who's your upset? Who do you think is going to pull the upset off? I'll go first, actually. I'll start us off. Lock to go through for me is Juventus. Um, they won't pull Barcelona. And I, I don't think they'll, they'll really get a team that can cause them too many problems. Upset, I'm going to go with Porto. They were one of the, the more impressive teams in the group stage. Um, and I think they've got a team. Don't count against the mean man in the back, Pepe. So, Luca, who's your lock? Who's your upset? I think I will go with Chelsea and Juve for a lock. I think ups, who's going to pull the upset, I think, will be Leipzig. Adam. Yeah, Leipzig is definitely my upset team. I think they're the best second place. Well, I know Barca and Athletic are there, but Leipzig is one of the better second place teams. And honestly, the way Lazio played Dortmund, I can't put it past them to give their team some issues, but it just there's definitely some teams they can't be, so I don't want to put them on full upset alert. Locks to go through, I mean, I think there's four. I think no matter who PSG gets, they're not going out on the round of 16 again. Juve, Bayern, unfortunately, I don't think I can say Dortmund with full conviction. And City won't go out this early. I'll wait for the draw for my boys. It probably kills you to say that, too. All right, let's move on. Uh, Premier League time. It's been a wild start to the season. It really has. There's what? Right now there's 10 points between 5th and 16th. Spurs sit top somehow on goal difference over Liverpool, Chelsea third, Leicester fourth, Southampton fifth, United and City fill out sixth and seventh place. Um, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on how this season has started. I know, Luca, you're probably on top of the moon, so, so we'll go with you first. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things to talk about in this table, top to bottom. I'll start out with top first, Tottenham. Just, I think consistency has been the key for this team. Look at their last three games. Arsenal 2-0. Chelsea 0-0 uh, tie. And a 2-0 against Man City. 
I think a Tottenham in the past would have beat Man City 2-0 and then lose a 3-1 against Chelsea. You know, so I think this is the most consistent side Tottenham have. A lot of people say they don't play good football, that it's boring to watch. But Tottenham have scored some of the, the most, one of the top most goals in in the Premier League. They have 23 goals in favor. They're around the same as Liverpool and Chelsea. So I don't understand the argument there. Um, again, Leicester City, I think they're trying to stay alive. Southampton has been one of the most impressive teams, even though they, that dramatic loss to United kind of uh, stalled them a little bit. And then apart from that, we see Arsenal bottom half of the table, which a lot of questions there. A lot of questions there. Um, Adam, your thoughts as well. Um, so just to rapid fire throughout through the teams, I think I do definitely think Tottenham are contenders this season. And I think, look, they don't have the depth, but if there's a style of play that's going to get you past depth, it's what Tottenham does with like the amount of ground they don't need to cover sometimes and how they're able to finish off their game so early they get the opening half goal and just how everything changes. I think if there's a team that can make do with, yeah, really not having options to replace Sun, Kane, some of their midfielders, it's them. Honestly, it shouldn't be that surprising, but I didn't expect Liverpool just to keep business as usual after that Everton game with the last Van Dyke and Thiago. Like, I don't want to say I was depressed, but I didn't watch their next few games just out of like, it was sad. Van Dyke out, never knowing when Thiago's going to come back. I really thought like Pickford might have ruined their chance at an easy, uh, an easy back-to-back campaign. So it's great to see them still in the picture. And if Klopp can win the Premier League with this much injuries, it's just it's a great bonus to his managerial resume. And look, I'm not gonna buy into anything Leicester's doing until they I'm just not actually that Liverpool game, you had their they had their chance. I think they got it all wrong. They got blown out. Title pretenders until proven otherwise. And I'm a little disappointed about the game that got rescheduled. I was really looking forward to watching Aston Villa play Newcastle. <laughs> I have my Grealish affiliations. You have your Newcastle ones. I was, I was excited for that one. Um, real quick, the Leicester point. Seven wins in 11 games. They're sticking around. No one thought after they won the title, what, four years ago now, that they'd be still here in a round. So I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you on that one a little bit. I, I don't think they're title contenders at all, so they're not title pretenders. But they're, they're still challenging uh, right around top four in, in the surrounding area. Um, real quick, so I, J- Jarrett Mackey texted me uh, the other day about Spurs, and he said, do you believe in us yet? And I said, no, and I'll continue not to. Um, and here's my reasoning. Tottenham always get hit with injuries, and I still don't think they have the squad depth to deal with it. Is it better than it was before? Yes. But is it totally there? I don't think so. And I also don't think – that the style of play is sustainable. And I, I, the reason why is, is you know, he, Jarrett made the, the counterpoint to me that it's, it's better than the teams that high press for the first 10 minutes and throughout the game because, um, you know, if, if you score a goal and then, and then park the bus and, and try to score on counters the rest of the game, yeah, you're saving fitness. I, I just don't think that will continue and continue to work. And what, I want to get your thoughts on that, Luca. 
you know, Tottenham play a full. Everyone thinks that park the bus is that you just sit in front, you park it, you put as many defenders as you can, as many players, bring Harry Kane all the way down to your own box. That was an oversimplified uh, way of putting it, and I, 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 I will retract that. And I don't think they park the bus, but they play very staunch and defensive football after they go it up. It's they're tactically drilled to just keep the opposition from pinging it around in your box. And that's what they do. That is what Jose Mourinho does. And that is exactly what they brought him in to do because they're just going to grind out these nasty wins with a couple spectacular goals. You know, it's just what Mourinho does. Again, and I do agree, sometimes it just doesn't work. We've seen instances where this style of play just does not work. It won't work against every team. There are 20 teams. It's not going to work against everybody. There are times where you're going to have big defenders or pacey guys who are going to break through. But at the moment, it seems like Tottenham are studying the opposition well enough to know how are they going to play and who the player-by-player matchups, how are they going to look. This is not the first time we've seen Mourinho set up tactics like this. I mean – uh, Inter when when they won the Champions League in the in the early 2010s. So Adam, Adam, do you think we as as Premier League fans and supporters are just annoyed that it's working in the Premier League with a team like Spurs? I mean, I don't know if annoyed is the word, but I definitely think like kind of people just want to be in denial. It's like, yeah, it's Mourinho, yeah, he's won leagues, but it's also Tottenham, and kind of just associating like the whole history of Tottenham with this current roster. And I feel like people don't – well, let me think about that. I feel like there's more change to the squad than, like, you think there has been in just, like, the three or four years since the 15-16 and 16-17 title runs, close, title contentions. So I think it would be – honestly, like, you look at – I don't really think there's a real reason to rule them out of this early. They've had big – I mean, they have a real big test next Wednesday. They go to Anfield. And I do think they lose that game. Well, I definitely don't think they win it, but I also think they'd be content with a draw. And you look at the way they played City. Like, City didn't have a single – like, City had a lot of possession. I don't really think they had a real goal-scoring chance in that game besides the one that got called off. And just the way they were able to play that game, plan perfectly. Would I have liked to see them be a little more open against Chelsea? Maybe, but – and they knew where they were going and there to do. And it just – I just trust the team. I think anything – Besides Kane and Son getting injured at the same time or one of them missing a long spell of time, I think they could plug someone in for a game or two to keep it going. And I don't think there's any reason yet to to push them off this early. Shifting gears to uh, your team, Adam. Liverpool have been struck with injury after injury after injury, yet they still win the Champions League group, yet they're still second in the table on goal difference. Is there a time for worry at Liverpool? Is it right now? Or like you said, it's business as usual. What do you think? I mean, I don't think you like, there'll be a time to worry until like they lose a few games in a row. I think their loss to Villa is still their only one on the season. And what the closest thing to a bad result was the Brighton game with all of our controversy. So they're doing fine. Again, they, I think the with how the Premier League goes, just the Christmas schedule kind of dictates everyone's season and how you, it'll change your outlook completely. Will, will that be a struggle more than usual for Liverpool now that the squad is a bit thinner? Christmas part? Probably. I haven't looked at the fixtures, but I mean, you always get one or two good games in there. Even 
terms of a got a terrible schedule. I don't think they have the two games in three days. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if, even if you look at it, they've got on the 19th, they've got Palace, 27th, West Brom, 30th, Newcastle, and on the 2nd of January, they got Southampton. Okay, so their hardest game is a trip to Southampton. Yes. So I think it's a favorable, <laughs> it's a very favorable run, and it's not even as congested as you would think. That's the word I was trying to think of earlier. So, no, I'm I'm not too worried about them. And I don't know what Tiago's timeline is. I don't think they've ever released it. But I think as soon as he comes back, it's just going to hit a huge – not that they're losing, but they'll just hit an even bigger switch. And I think the only thing I'd really want to see from Liverpool, and I know it's not his primary role and I'm a big supporter of him, is just if Firmino could score a little more consistently. He only has to be the fourth highest scorer on the team with how Jota's broken out. But just I think when you get that guarantee back – and Thiago in the midfield, they'll be just fine. Luka, you've kind of got a different perspective on Liverpool this season just because of where Spurs has been um, so far this season. Do you, do you see Liverpool being able to sustain um, the form we've seen from them throughout the whole season? Absolutely. I mean, this is a team with tremendous talent. You know, this is a, you can't find these players anywhere else in the league. And they just keep rotating. Salah keeps scoring. It's just things that happen in Liverpool that just look so clear-cut, and when uh, you just don't doubt them for a couple seconds, you know. It's, and I don't think they're going to be stretched, especially in Christmas. They might find a couple draws, they might be, they might struggle for one or two games, but other than that, this team looks in very fine form. And if they get everyone else back healthy, good for them. Um, I want to spend a, a couple minutes on on Newcastle. Um, last week's game canceled because of a COVID outbreak in the camp. Um, and right now they sit 13th on 14 points uh, with a game in hand on most of the teams around them. More points than Arsenal, more points than Leeds, like I said, with a game in hand. But 12 goals in 10 games and Bruce Ball is in full swing. Seven of those goals coming from Callum Wilson. He, he's been the, the bright spot in the team. Uh, the other guy I've been impressed with so far this season is Joe Linton. And you guys both know my, my feelings toward Joe Linton. So that is, that is coming from a place that is very, very genuine. Uh, it, this team, they do grind out results, but it gets old watching football that is, that is not attractive. Um, is, it's obviously, and I would not like to play it on the field. But if the results keep coming, if we win the next game, our game in hand, we're up to the – to the 10th spot in the table. So, you know, I, I want to ask you guys, should I be complaining um, or should I be satisfied? Adam. I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on your preseason expectations. I don't want to say 13th is like, uh, you know, celebrate it, but look, you're out of a relegation battle completely. But I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask for to enjoy watching your team play unless it's uh, – <laughs> unless you're a Tottenham fan and it's like, it's working and it's putting you towards a title. Like I think especially with how, cause a lot of the mid table Premier League teams just play open and kind of let hell break loose every game. So I guess if your team isn't doing it, I can, like I can understand the frustration. This, this is a very exaggerated form of what I actually feel, but is Spurs not just Bruce ball with better players? <laughs> it may as well be honestly. No, they they just they just execute it better and have better players. So, I mean, 
Um, one of the things that, that worries me um, is the lack of Almiron on the field and St. Maximan's production so far. If, if this team gets caught in a relegation battle and their form starts to slip and dip and, and they get taken farther and farther down towards the bottom three, granted, they're already eight points clear. Um, that, that's when I start to worry. And I just, I, what, are your, what are your thoughts there, Luca? Yeah, of course, you don't want to lose those two guys. You know, maybe they don't play or do well with that kind of football, but they're still going to be one of your top guys and one of your top talented footballers on that team. So I think it's important for the club to keep those guys because they bring a lot of attention and they bring a lot of dangerous attacking ability to the, to the Premier League. Um, Man United right now, they sit sixth with a game in hand. If they win the game in hand, they could, they could move up to, to fourth. Um, and so the, the ominous question of the day is, um, is there a Paul Pogba problem at United? This week, uh, it came out, his agent, Mino Raiola, said that it was, it was the end of Pogba at United. So the question remains, is there a Pogba problem at United? Luca? There's a huge Pogba problem at United. These kinds of things can't be happening with the team in just such chaos. Like, as if the problems don't aren't already bad for United, then you just add this pressure of Paul Pogba, and you might as well just completely destroy the dressing room. Because what kind of – you're sitting next to Paul Pogba in the dressing room. What are you thinking? You know, next day you're just going to get up and leave for more money? You know, and who I – don't, I don't really know a team who is willing to pay – a price for Paul Pogba more than asked for. You know, I don't, I'm not, I don't know a team who that's willing to break the bank for Paul Pogba at this point. So I think it's excessive by Mino Raiola, his agent, to come out and say these things to a, to a magazine, a newspaper, because it just destroys the mentality of the team. And if Solskjaer and if the captains of Manchester United can't get this situation handled, it just looks like a circus. Adam, do they need to get rid of him? Is it time? Yeah, I mean, it's just not working. It, and if you're, you're going to either lose him in a player swap or a big money deal, so you can just use it to reconstruct your squad a little bit differently. And kind of what I wonder with this situation is, because I feel like a lot of times if an agent says something, you kind of assume it comes from the player. But Mina Raiola is so outspoken. Like, I don't know if he's just kind of talking and Pogba was blindsided by this one or not. Well, you hope so. Yes. <laughs> Look, it's obviously not working the way it should. And I think United has – I mean, Pogba has a lot of blame for himself, obviously. And United has to just kind of redo this no, – not fully redo this midfield. Just get a better six to sit behind Bruno and Donny. I think you can either do that. I mean, I'd like to see a, a Pogba for Dybala player swap. I mean, it probably won't happen in January. But the idea of that's really interesting to me for both sides, I think. United's front three isn't playing as good as they wore to end the season last year. And there's a little, they always seem to have one weak link playing and not like it'll vary who's off. So I think having another figure in there could help. And I think Pogba could really help out Juve. And I think if anyone can really get the best back out of him, it's a team he played great for a manager that played with him when he was at his best and a team that fully embraces him as I don't think United fans have ever truly embraced Pogba, but I know Juve, they have from the goal, the glory days they had with him, making the Champions League final, winning those leagues. So I think that's a move that really stands out to me as one that he should do and that would really help rejuvenate him quick. You agree, Luca? 
the question is, is Juve going to pay that money for him? Because he has almost two years, 18 months left on his contract. I'm not sure if they're willing to pay that much money. Remember, look at Juventus's wage bill. They have some heavy players on that side. So unless they can get rid or swap some of those players to make room for Paul Pogba, then I don't see it happening. And Man United certainly don't want to lose him for free because I think that'd be a shame to lose him for free. But If you're uh, United, what's the player swap deal you're – Granted, you're getting into mega trade NBA territory, but like, who would you uh, who would you think, ask for? I think uh, you'd ask for DiBala and ask one for one more uh, midfielder. Get Rodrigo Bentacur. Not bad. Okay, that wraps up the Premier League roundup so far this season. Um, now we're gonna go other ways, <laughs> other places uh, around Europe. We'll go Adam first. Your Dortmund rant. I'm going to open the doors. The floor is yours. Go ahead, sir. All right. So I'm going to say two things. One, Bayern has the weaknesses I expected they would have. They're playing a lot more open. They've dropped a few games. Dortmund really should have at least got a draw out of them. And Leipzig just maybe unfortunately only got a draw out of Bayern. So I definitely – they showed you can't lose your best midfielder and keep it going just fine, which is reasonable. I mean, they lost Tiago. They weren't supposed to be as good. Kimmich went out injured. There's a lot of quote-unquote weakness relatively for how good that side was. Unfortunately, Dorman's just not as good as I thought they would be. And the offense, look, the production for everyone besides Holland's goals have been down from last year besides Reina, but even he kind of he had a three-assist game in like the third game of the season and kind of – reasonably brought it down since that wasn't going to be a uh, sustainable and it just like, no issue team long for the clones first one of the season off of two flipped corners you don't adjust after the first one you lose two one holland missed an open goal in the last second to tie it and literally open goal like not an exaggeration and that was the last thing he did before injury so we gotta sit on that as his last involvement they tied frankfurt Dormund always doesn't win at Frankfurt. I think it's like seven years in a row. So, I mean, not to say it's an okay result, but like maybe that was bound to happen. Still annoying because Dortmund's four points off top right now, and they've dropped five in their last two. So, the t- I mean, they're still in range. I'm still going to believe they can come back. <laughs> what I keep telling myself is last time Dortmund won the title, they lost three out of their first seven games. <laughs> this year, they lost three of their first 11. They just need... The fate will really fringe on they still have to play Leverkusen and Leipzig before the season ends. We Dortmund usually plays Leipzig very well, so I'm not I have faith they can get a good result out of them. It's kind of weird with those three. Dortmund outplays Leipzig, Leipzig plays Bayern the better than Dortmund, but then but then Bayern has an easy time with Dortmund. It's a little it's a weird triangle with the top three over there. So I'm I'm confident Dortmund can beat Leipzig, keep it going, but my hope is getting uh, – it's on thin ice now. There's not a lot of air room anymore. They're four points back. Uh, slightly off topic, but what is happening to Schalke? Oh, they just suck. I don't know, like, why, but – like, I don't know where it started. They just don't win games anymore. They looked – the first half of last season, I think they went into the winter break at, like, top six. At highest, it was six, but I'm pretty sure they were there, if not, like, seventh. And then the second half of the season, they just forgot how to win games. They started off the season with that 8-0 loss to Bayern. 
and okay, it might sound not to sound like a hater on Bayern. Eight's obviously crazy, but it almost wasn't that impressive. I'm like, all right, you blew out. It was more telling of like, oh yeah, Schalke is just going to be more of the same this season. And it just kept going. I really think they're going to get relegated and it'll just, they'll be our Sunderland. The Derby won't happen anymore. That'll Which be I don't brutal. mind. <laughs> okay. Doesn't mind. It. I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind not playing Sunderland either. When it's top versus bottom of the table, it's really not that iconic of a Derby. If anything, it's just a huge game for them which might make it harder for us down the line as in terms of like, again, we're playing the team and Dorman's playing the team in 16th. They're playing the team fighting for the title. A lot more to gain for them. I won't mind if they go down, but that reminds me. I, have to, I thought of two questions to ask you a while back and we haven't had a pod since. When Sunderland got a doc, was part of you jealous that they got one? <laughs> and it's like they're the worst team and they're the worst of the two teams in the rivalry i know it doesn't necessarily weigh up like who we're getting sunderland or newcastle but was part of you a little annoyed slightly um everything was okay though when it changed from a comeback story to a going down to the next league story all of the jealousy or anything that was there went directly away right away <laughs> yeah no i was just Thought of that randomly, and because I'd be annoyed. I mean, I mean, granted, Dorman did get a bit of a dock, but I, I, w- I wouldn't blame you if you uh, had a little grudge with Netflix for a while. Yeah, no, yeah. just a little bit. It, the, I, the show gave me many laughs, so I forgave him right away. All right, Luca, now you're up next. AC Milan. It's looking pretty, man. Top of the table, but their next games are key. Remember that. Uh, only nine points separates first from seventh at the moment. So it could take only one or two games to really destroy the run that they have. They're facing two bottom half teams next, Parma and Genoa. And after that, they have Sassuolo and Lazio right around Christmas time, which that's going to be their real test for them this season. You know, can they grind out those results? The last, the last few results have been good for them. But... Can Slatan, Ibrahimovic, and company keep this run up? And I'm very excited. Very excited. Uh, how how impressed have, have you been with Zlatan this season? The dude's old, but he just keeps producing. The dude is just in unbelievable shape. It's like, I don't think there's another 39-year-old in the planet with this dude's physical ability. He just doesn't get injured. He flies by center backs who are 25, 23 years old, and he just makes it look so easy unbelievable what this man is doing no losses so far and you know 26 points from 30 um our our fellow former impactor Alex McCray loves to say water find its finds its level but do, do you think this is form that Milan can sustain throughout the season if they don't have any injuries and they don't really have any big problems then yes they are still a relatively young team, so I wouldn't be surprised if they go on a run of bad form. There's a lot of guys on this team which are new to the league and really haven't been around professional football enough to really to really get this team in the position, especially towards the last quarter of the season. It's going to be tough. Their mental strength is also going to be tough. We always have to keep that in mind. But... What Pioli has done with this team is unbelievable. Yeah, Milan fans everywhere. 
are just back to being happy. This for the last decade, this team has been run by mediocre clowns who have just driven this club to the ground. And then now they have a beautiful resurgence, and I'm very happy with that. Um, I don't. I, Newcastle's my my one true love, but uh, bef- since the last time we've done a pod. I was the, the last time I, I, I cried over a football match is when Scotland beat Serbia on penalties to make it to the, to the Euros next summer. And it was 120 minutes of, uh, you know, gut-wrenching turmoil and Serbia, you know, equalized in the 89th minute, sent it to extra time, and then it just didn't look good from there. Scotland held on and then somehow won 5-4 on penalties. Um, it was... I, I just had to mention that because it was it was wonderful. I ripped my Scotland kid off and ran down the street shirtless. It, it was it was the most it fun. It was the the most fun I've had watching a football match. And you better believe if there's fans of the Euros next summer, I'm there. I'm there at Hamden. I'm there at Wembley watching them against England, beating England. It's gotta be wonderful. Just wonderful. That had to be one of the most stressful like little playoff runs you could have had. Two hundred forty minutes and ten rounds of penalties. <laughs> And Scotland went 10 for 10. They did. Correct. They did. They're killer they at penalties. They practiced their all, penalties. Yeah, that's all that matters because they knew they were, they were playing for a draw just to, just to get to the penalties. That's why. How, uh, how worried were you when there was that little wait to see if your goalie came off the line or not? Oh, not. I, he not wasn't. I know, wasn't. you know, David Marshall looked over at the ref and he was like, please, 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 just tell me I wasn't off the line. And then uh, – I think um, one of the announcers said, like, he doesn't know he saved it or, like, he didn't know it was over or something like that. It was like, no, he was worried about flipping VAR coming and, and, and killing our happiness. Oh, wonderful stuff, though. All right. And so One last thing on Scotland. That had to be the most favorable World Cup qualifying group you could have gotten. Oh, it's wonderful. The, We're winning it. One, it's not, the it's pot, not even a question. The pot one going team to the World Cup. Denmark. Yeah, the pot one team was the worst team in pot one. Pot two I don't even know how they got bad. there. I I don't either. It's it. But the thing is now is is we legitimately once again have a chance to, to qualify for another major tournament. Austria is the second the second best team. The thing I'm worried about, quite honestly, is Israel because we beat them in the penalty shootout and we didn't beat them the next week. You know, so that could cause problems. But ah, that was emotional hangover. You guys just qualified for the Euros. It has true. <laughs> this is true. No one was going to care about Nations League. No. I, I don't even know if I watched the, the games the next week. I just, I just wanted to stay on my high on Cloud9. Yeah, I don't know if I would have watched a game until the Euros if I was you. No, I don't think I will from now on. All right. Well, hey, that just about wraps up this episode. Anything else you gents have left to say? No, nothing here. I think we're good. Oh, wonderful. It, it's been wonderful to get back with you guys talking football. And we have hoped – that you enjoyed listening to it as well. Once again, stay on the lookout for that special episode of DeMartin Download with Damon Rensing, MSU men's soccer head coach. But until then, we have hoped that you found this episode to be, in the great words of Ray Hudson, Magisterial!